Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Buster Show. We have a very special guest today, Drew Hamlin. Thanks for having me on, my man. Thank you for being here. First question, I want to know, since a lot of young people listen to this podcast, how did you get started? Because I know you started at an extremely young age, but how does somebody do that? How did you do it? Yeah, so for me, it was actually kind of random. So I had a, um, a car that did not start if it snowed or if it rained. And there was also some random times where it didn't start. So I had one of those beat up kind of get you from point A to point B, really from my house to the gym um, cars. And uh, I remember even when I'd like go out on dates, I'd have to like low-key leave the car running just so that like, you know what I mean? It didn't, we didn't have to jump start it, but um, I had one of those cars. And so I was like, all right, I've got to get a job um, that pays me enough to buy a new car. I had been like a lifelong entrepreneur. I was one of those people that, uh, you know, I'd cut grass and then I would take grass cutting to the next level where um, I would run door to door. I would recruit my friends to help me. And I'd be like, you're cutting the grass, you're trimming, you know, the edges and I'm going to go door to door. So really they were doing the work, but I was doing the hustling. That's that's true entrepreneurship. Then I did the, you know, shoveling snow. I'm from St. Louis. So then we do shoveling snow. Then we actually built our way up to buying a snow blower where it would like to blow the snow out so we could do driveways in like 10 minutes you know up in the usage rate and then we do lemonade stands but instead of charging a quarter we charge 30 cents because nobody's going to give you two quarters and ask for 20 cents back so we would do tons of different things so i was a natural kind of hustler as a at a young age um but then i got to the situation where you can't lemonade stand your way all the way to a new car and so um, I said I need a higher paying job so I was looking around and I saw that referees in St. Louis made $18 per game 18 bucks an hour so um, called the facility didn't get a return call emailed the the you know the head of uh, the basketball performance there and said you know hey I'd love to be a referee didn't get a return so uh, finally I went up to the facility and, um, you know, I said, hey, is Matt Brobeck in? And they said, you know, he's not in. Um, his office is downstairs if you needed to, uh, you know, check with and see if he maybe is there. But I, we don't think he's in right now. And I went downstairs not knowing the business etiquette at that age. I was maybe 16 years old. Uh, knocked on the door. He didn't answer. I checked and his door was open. So I walked <laughs> in his office and I took one of his sticky notes and wrote. I said, I know you got my messages. Call me. So sure enough, maybe 15, 30 minutes later, uh, I got a call from him hey man, I've never seen somebody so persistent, especially over a refereeing job. Like, why do you want it so bad? And I was like, 18 bucks an hour. And he's like, when can you come in to talk about this refereeing job? And I said, uh, I know you're in your office right now. I'll see you soon. And so I just showed up to the facility again. Uh, he got to laughing about kind of, you know, me walking in his office. I said, well, first off, you shouldn't have left it open, you know. Um, and uh, we started sitting down and talking. He said, well, do you have any credentials to be a ref? And I said, no. He said, well, you have to have credentials. You have to go through ref training camps. I said, I promise you, I can do a better job than these refs that blow all the calls during my games. Right. And he was like, listen, I know you feel that way. Everybody feels like the refs are, you know, screwing them over, but you have to actually like be certified. And he said, why do you want it so bad? I said, again, 18 bucks an hour. I need a new car. I told the whole story to him. And he said, why don't you coach my son? And I was like, well, how does it help me? And he was like, and he paused for a second. He goes, I'll give you 18 bucks an hour. So I was like, perfect. I retired from being a referee before it ever started. Now I'm a coach. And uh, when I started coaching, I, uh, I love just helping players get better. They were sixth graders. So I was like, there's no reason we should focus on learning plays. I want to create players. And we really focus on the development part of basketball because that's what I like doing too. I was uh, undersized, 
you know, kind of average athlete that had to work and grind my way into becoming one of the best players in Missouri to get college scholarships. So I said, hey, if I can instill hard work in these players, if I can teach them how to kind of improve the fundamentals so that they have the building blocks later on when they're trying to add the little nuances, then I can really help them out. And so that's exactly what I did. And so um, then there was one day, there was three, it was a three court facility and there were games going on on court one and court two. And on court three, I was grinding, like putting myself through a workout. Um, and I was a relentless worker. Like that's one thing that I pride myself on. No one's gonna outwork me. He used to wake up at 4.59 a.m. and shoot a thousand shots every single day before high school. So what time were you going to bed? See, that's the crazy thing. I don't even remember, but I, I think it was like nine. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was getting like, yeah, like I was, yeah. I was one of those people, my routine was I would, 4.59 a.m. I'd wake up one minute before the person I thought they were waking up early at five because I always wow. wanted to be one step ahead. I would get to the gym, 5.15. I'd meet my principal there. Dr. Clark was nice enough to meet me at the gym that early uh, to let me in the gym. I'd shoot a thousand shots um, and they were all three pointers. And if I didn't make 850, I redid it at night. But if I made 850 out of a thousand, then I would come back home. I would shower up. I'd go back to school, go through school. Then we'd have practice. Then after practice, I would go up to the Shrewsbury City Center and work on my skills. And then I would just be so tired that I would just end up passing out. Makes sense. You know what I mean? And so that's what I did. That was my routine. I had a, you know, around St. Louis, I obviously had a, um, a reputation for being a hard worker. And so this parent uh, came over to me. So court one, game going on. Court two, game going on. Court three, me grinding. And when I finally took a break, hands on my knees, dripping in sweat, he comes over and puts his hand around me. I remember I kind of got scared at first, was like, oh my gosh, like, and he was like, listen, my son's over there on court two playing and he needs to get his ass whooped. He needs to learn what real hard work is. He's like, can I pay you $20 to put my son through that exact workout that you just saw? So boom, I'm, re <laughs> I'm no longer a coach. I retired from coaching. And, 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 you know, now I started training. So I trained um, him and, and Matt Baker was his name. And I, I trained him, started training him and, um, then I started training so many other players around the uh, St. Louis area. I added an academy where I had 96 players around St. Louis that were going either Monday, Wednesday, or Tuesday, Thursday. How old were you then? 16. Crazy. And one of those guys was Brad Beal. Wow. And so Brad was, you know, a guy that averaged like eight or nine points a game as a freshman. We started working individually that summer. Um, and he also he grew. out to you or was it through his parents as well? No, so it was funny. I actually, we we played against his high school team. So I was a junior going to be a senior um, and he was an eighth grader going to be a freshman. So he was like sitting on the varsity, not playing much. I was playing and uh, I put up like 66 points against them. And, and Brad and I always laugh because he's like, yeah, I never forget. Cause I was player, you know, I was player of the year in Missouri. So like, yeah. you know, as a eighth grader, you look up to those guys. And so he's like, I'll never forget at halftime. Especially being, I mean, around, it's no crazy. question. He was like, oh, we were at the water fountain and, and you started talking trash. And I was like, this guy's talking trash during halftime to us and then going out and still doing it. So after the game, his, his dad and his dad had reached out. I remember his dad had reached out because Brad stayed after the game, which was pretty cool. And he was using a shooting machine to get shots up on his own. And his older brothers, um, you know, had played basketball and football, but they ended up going on football scholarships. And so um, his parents were like, hey, is there any way that you could help Brad with some of the things that you were able to do? Because Brad was actually undersized back then, you know what I mean? So right. um, we started grinding. Brad went from eight or nine points a game as a freshman to 24 points a game as a sophomore. He also had grown. 
he had always been working with his mom on his shots. We had a good, you know, foundation. And then also his brother started teaching him how to lift. So it was like the perfect storm of like right. development and growth. But as his career took off, my career took off and word of mouth kind of expanded everything. That's amazing. And that was all at age 16, 17. Yeah. On. So when did you decide, or I guess through that, you knew that that's what you wanted to do maybe after you were stopped playing. Um, but at what yeah. point did you realize that you were going to go all in on training then pros and going down that route? So the weird thing was I told you I had, I was working out 96 kids in this right. academy. Basically I started as kind of like an elite 24 and then I added another one and kind of kept growing because I wanted to, um, you know, I didn't want to turn away players. My big thing was I wanted to help anybody that wanted to be in the gym and work hard. Mm -hmm. And so it, it turned into a 96 person academy and then expanded from there. Um, but when you have 96 kids paying you $200 a month as a 16 year old, you start doing the math and you're going, man, I'm, I'm doing very well. Like you I can actually do this. Yeah. Like I can actually do this. And so, um, the other thing was I wrote a book my junior year in high school, okay. uh, going into senior year. That same year, I put together a drill book manual, self-published it. I had uh, one of the guys that used to write stories on us. Uh, I reached out to him. Uh, Mike Smith had edited the whole thing because, you know, there was tons of, you know, punctuation yes. all over the place. Everywhere. And uh, then I self-published it at Kinko's and made a deal with him where I was getting the books printed, color, and bound for five bucks. You know, it was like a, I told him it was a student project. And uh, so I, I bought 200 copies and sold them within the first week. And so I was like, all right, I went back. I was like, hey, so um, I have the same student project. And eventually they were like, okay, so I bought, but I, I, send up, I ended up selling 5,000 copies uh, when I was in high school. Locally? Locally, or... grinding, like whenever I would go on a trip, I would bring yeah. them like, yeah, just like, you know how it is. Like you just go to a tournament. If you hear there's a tournament and you hear there's 200 teams in town, I did the math. I said that's like two thousand players in town. Especially you know what I mean? So the reputation on top of one hundred percent. It's the equivalent of social media back then, except you're actually handing it out yourself. And and the crazy thing is, here's the wilder thing. So what I would do is, I would have a backpack full, like literally a backpack full of drill books, mm -hmm. and I would bring four basketballs with me into the gym. This is like big tournaments. You're talking about ten court facilities yeah. and stuff like that. And I taught myself how to dribble four basketballs at once, not because that was a drill that I thought would be very beneficial like so there's more purposeful people just so i could get people that's over and then i would do three that's ball smart. drills between my legs do all this kind of stuff yeah. and they would come over and say wow and then their parents <laughs> would say my son's not good yeah. at ball handling i want to do that and i would say okay well here's the real drills that you should be doing be, to do this but like it was just one of those it was i it's funny because now i make fun of trainers that put all the gimmicky stuff online, right. but it was really kind of how I started. And I think that what happens in life is before you are there, you almost have to trick people that right. you're there. And so back then I was like tricking people to come over, but then my goal has always been to improve players. So as soon as I got them in, then the gimmick stopped. Right. You know what I mean? Now I clown yeah. on the people that they get them in with the gimmicks and then they the still do the gimmicks. It's so stupid. You know what I mean? It's so stupid. It's, it's just, ridiculous. it goes back to, and, it, and it's funny because so many people struggle with this basketball, not basketball, but you have so many distractions in life. You know, there was a study out that came out the other day that said that 13% um, of the time that you're at work, you're actually working, like locked in working. And so if you think about that, most people waste their entire day, and whether that's 
you know, we live in the social media area. So, I mean, if you look at how many times, you know, the app, you look at kind of all the, uh, your phone throughout the day and all the apps. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. Everyone, by the way, should look at their app usage <clears throat> just to know in the it's back wild. of your mind. I've looked at mine in a week and it'll say 22 plus hours on one app. Yeah. Well, no, it's wild. That's an entire day. It's right? wild. I remember there was a week that I had 58,000 text messages gone in and out, like, um, on the thing. So I don't know if it means I clicked it 58,000 times or it was in and out, but it said 58,000 impressions of my text message thing. Was it 58,000 notifications? I, I, I'm not sure the exact how, the way how iPhone does it, but when I saw that, I was like, you know what? Like, I, first off, I need a new number. And second off, like, damn, we're wasting a lot of time. And so if you think about this, if we sleep eight hours a day and we live to 75, yeah. 25 years of our life are sleeping. Yes. So then you, is extremely important. Yeah, then you go, okay, if you're working eight hours a day, there's another 25 years of your life. Then you start saying, okay, now you're going to spend four hours a day on social media. There's another 12 and a half years. And you start going through and you're going, like, we, we maybe live 1% of our life. True. Yeah. Which is wild. And a lot of people just at the work desk, and I think a lot of it stems also back to that statistic that you're talking about. A lot of those people don't like what they're doing. Exactly. Um, so by nature, they're going to try to do as little of it as possible while For still sure. getting what they need, which is the financials to back whatever vacations and whatever rent they have. Yeah, and no doubt. that, as a byproduct, makes them care, you know, an extremely minimal amount in contrast to somebody like 100%. yourself. 100%. Even somebody like me, and unfortunately, you know, the social media stuff par partially plays into what I do and what you do as well. Um, so we can kind of, you know, tax deduct those hours yep. um, as a business expense. But at the same time, there definitely is a lot of uh, no question on that. Um, let's fast forward to now. What excites you the most right now? To be honest with you, transforming players' games was why I started, and now it's transforming people's lives. And Ooh. so. Um, the, the reason I, the reason like that I do what I do is to help players accomplish their wildest dreams and take them beyond there. And so there's sometimes where a player will come to me and it'll start at surface level and they'll say, Hey, listen, I really need to fix my shot because that's why I'm not playing. But when you get to know somebody, when you go the depth versus width kind of theory, when you get to know somebody beyond basketball, and care about them more as people than players, what you find out is what they really need to work on is not their jump shot. What they really need to work on is fixing their life so that they're confident, so that they get rid of kind of the, the people around them that are holding them back, get rid of all the lifted weight on their back. Like, all oh, there's so many things that you have to do. And so once you fix their lives, the game part is so easy. And so basketball happens to be the platform that I have to get people to buy in but then, I mean, we're reworking their lives just as much as we're reworking their games. And, and now I'm starting to transition. I've been doing it privately for a long time, but now I'm starting to do it publicly um, where I'm doing that with business owners and CEOs and corporations because um, basketball is such a small industry that I'm like, how can I impact people from every industry? And you see, right. I mean, the truth is, I mean, a lot of these, the basketball players, and a lot of the other successful business owners that I'm friends with, whether it's celebrities or whether they're just millionaires or billionaires that are in the business world, a lot of them envy what I have, happiness, inner peace, more than I envy what they have, which is access and money. Right. And I think that 
the world we live in, everybody chases the access and money part. And what they should be chasing is the happiness and the inner peace. And inner peace to me is where you're not worrying, you're not doubting, you're not stressing, and you're not satisfied because I don't think that you can have inner peace if you're satisfied, if you're kind of, uh, you know, just standing still. Because then you're not working towards anything, which is what also brings that peace. And so you have to be happy where you're at and happy where you're going. Right. And my grandma used to say something that I love. She would always say that you're never going to have everything you want, but you're always going to have more than you need. Mm, I like that. And so if you think about it, it's true. Like we're never going to have everything that we want, but we always have more than we need. So she's like, listen, the more than we need part should mean that you should always have a super blessed attitude where you're so appreciative of all the things that you know have been put in your life and the we're never going to have everything we want should be, listen, we're never going to have it. So no reason to stress over the things we don't have because you're never going to obtain everything that you want. You know what I mean? Right. So it's a pretty cool mindset to be in just to understand that like there are things that are maybe out of your reach and that's okay. And I think what a lot of people think too is that if you get a billion dollars, then the byproduct of that is that you then have inner peace and happiness. Whereas, you know, it, it's quite, quite clearly the reverse. Where 100%. If you have happiness, then you're infinitely closer to that billion dollars or whatever your goal is because that's that's just what some business people or entrepreneur kids or whomever that's what's preached to them the billion dollars can help you get what you want but it can't help you become who you want right and that is the most powerful thing because most people think that once they get the money that they are going to feel a certain way and the truth is they can start doing cooler things, no doubt. They can get access to cooler it things, no doubt. Really quick. But yeah, it's just yeah. you're not who you want to be. So the thing really is, they should quick. spend, they should spend not as much time, but more time focusing on becoming the person that they want instead of trying to obtain the things they want. So how do you help a billionaire CEO in a basketball sense? So it's weird. So sometimes the reason they come to me is just because they're a fan right. but um the truth is they're like hey listen Drew, we don't need work help from the business world like we've obviously figured it out we have more money than you you know like we can right. consult for you and help you grow your business yeah, but the truth is it's <laughs> it's just the mentality side of it and and it's helping people realize what really matters and i think that one of the things that helps my players a lot is i always ask them would the 10 year old version of yourself be proud of you and it's amazing how like, you know, they might have an off night, they go five for 21 from the field, they lose the game and they know if they would have went, you know, 11 for 21 instead, they win the game. They're kind of down on themselves, they're hard on themselves, they're beating themselves up over their mistakes. And you just go, hey, listen, first off, you're, you have a long career. If you're a star player, do you think anyone's gonna remember about that one bad game? Now, of course, there's times where you might remember certain moments if it's a big game and it's magnified you might remember like you know the Kawhi Leonard shot that okay that bounced in and rattled in you might remember the Chris Webber timeout because that was a you know a huge play yeah. you don't remember when Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or LeBron James went four for 17 on a random night in Cleveland or Chicago or all of these guys have missed more game winners than they've made yeah all of those. the best shooter in the history of the NBA Steph Curry misses 55% of his threes. The best ever. Kobe Bryant has the most missed shots in NBA history. Yeah, so it's, it's just like when you look at that kind of stuff, then what you start realizing is, okay, so I shouldn't stress about that one game. Mm. Well, then even more important, you shouldn't stress about that one week or the one month. And so 
what you have to one play. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I think <laughs> yeah. that when it goes back to your original question, the how do you help billionaires, and and it really all comes down to analyzing where they're at and realizing what they should be kind of appreciative of instead of stressing about what the things they aren't. And, and here's a weird thing, and this is something I think the trend is gonna go in this direction big time. You see athletes, whether it's Gronk or whether it's uh, Andrew Luck, retiring early. Yeah. Now that the money is so high, people are gonna start retiring early so they can live better lives. You know what I mean? The average American, not the average Especially athlete, they're, yeah, they're, their life expectancy and the retirement age are 11 years apart. So it's like you work all your life and then live 11 years when you're older and right. like, that doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's yeah. a lot of people I think are gonna go the opposite route where they start kind of realizing, hey, like I have enough. And that it's weird because to get to those levels, you can't have that mentality. Like I, I do not believe that if you're like, oh, I'm good enough, I'm fine. I don't think you can reach the NBA with that mentality. I don't think you can be a self-made billionaire or a self-made multi-multi-multi-millionaire with the attitude of like, oh, I'm, I'm good enough. You have to have that killer it factor. You gotta wake up at 459. But yeah. if you look at a lot of these athletes, the, the greatest ever in every sport. So if you look at Michael Jordan, he really struggled with post-career happiness because he had that killer mentality that almost didn't have an off switch. And he's also a billionaire. Then you have Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods was the most dominant golfer and one off the court, off the course thing happens and he loses his dominance. It did, he didn't forget how to play golf. It was life right. hit him. And then he came back. You know, is... but you kind of go down all the, almost yeah. all the greatest ever. They, they all struggle with it because the on switch is so on that they're hyper-focused on obtaining what they want to attain. But then once they do it, they have to keep go, 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 go. And then now you see like right now, I mean, you see Kobe Bryant's in the news a lot for, you know, oh, he's too hard on fourth graders. It's because he doesn't have an off switch. How do you feel about that, by the way? What do you, when you saw his social media posts regarding uh, what people thought was him criticizing uh, a friend of his daughter who was on the team, you know, going to dance recital, <laughs> explaining that that's where her goals and intentions and time was. Um, whereas he was just saying that was then, and now she's on the team now, and making his point where the internet just has has a blast with it. What what, what were your thoughts when you saw that one? First off, I would say I don't care. Right. Like, who cares? Like I think that that's the thing is most I'm people argue over all this dumb shit, right. and and they're so worried about what other people are thinking, doing, like the way they're acting, etc. And so I think that I, honestly, I think that we do live in a like hypersensitive society right now where truths are looked down upon you know like if uh, there's times in the basketball world that I'll they'll be like why didn't you make the NBA and I'll be like well first off you know I I do think that you know I did give up mentally early too early on it like when I was in high school I almost had this realization that you know I was a 5'11 white American and that I was probably wasn't gonna make the NBA and some people laugh in the audience and then other people are like, well, why, why would you put yourself down and say you're 5'11 white American? I'm like, well, first off, because I am a 5'11 white American. Second off, look in the NBA. There are no sub six foot white Americans. In the last 20 years, I can't think of one that's 
been drafted. And they're like, well, what about this guy? I'm like, do you realize he's like 6'2 or 6'1 or 6'0 right. whatever? And you go down the line, I'm like, I'm not saying that it's not possible. I'm just saying it hasn't happened in a long period of time. So my That's odds are very, lot. very low. Yeah. And so I think that I like to do this, and I started doing this the other day on a podcast. I said this, and I loved it. Flip the situation around, and it's amazing how people react. So I'll give you an example. You have a lottery ticket. You go to 7-Eleven, and it's a billion-dollar jackpot. You buy the ticket. What do you tell all your friends joking around? Oh, I'm going to win the billion. I'm going to win the billion. You don't win, and you're like, dang, I didn't win. And I'm like, now flip the situation around. Imagine if you went into 7-Eleven and bought every single winning, like every combination possible besides one. And that one that you didn't buy one, you would be like, what? How did I not win? I had every, you're like, hold on. So why were you so surprised when you had the one, but you weren't, you know what I mean? Like when you yeah. flip it on yourself, you're like, yo, you would have been not only shocked, you would have been so pissed because it was so unlikely to happen. Right. But when you're in the opposite shoes, you can't be mad when you have one ticket. It's the same thing as people when they're working hard. They, they go out and they work hard one day. They do abs and they go to the mirror and they look and they're still fat. And they're like, oh my gosh. And it's like, come on, man. Like you didn't really think that you were going to have a six pack yeah. after that workout. Or it's, it's everything that you're doing today, you're going to see not tomorrow, not next week. But days. Yeah, it's so right. many days. Like 90 studies are like, some people are saying 67 days. Some people are saying 90 days. Like you really see results way down the line because right. I really believe that me shooting a thousand shots a day, really that instilled the hard work that I use now. So while shooting and, you know, I shot 42% in high school, 40 something percent in college, 49% my senior year at Belmont. So I shot like, yeah, the shooting paid off. But the truth was the discipline of waking up at 4.59 a.m., the discipline of if I didn't make 850 out of 1,000 going back at night, the discipline of waking up on the days I didn't feel like it, waking up on the days where it was snowing out and we literally had snow days and I was still showing up to the gym, that instilled the hard work in me that has allowed me to be successful in other ventures, whether it's in the business world, whether it's been in the you know, consulting world, whether it's been in the charitable world because you know my family runs an orphanage in Haiti. And so... Awesome. My thing is, if, if you, how you, people say like how you do one thing is how you do everything. I don't believe that because I work my ass off in the business and basketball and, and consulting and personal development areas. But I remember there was days in high school where I'd walk up to my social studies teacher the first day of class and say, hey, just so you know, unless you can convince me that this class is going to help me become a better basketball player or a better businessman, I'm just letting you know, I'm just going to do whatever I can just to get by and get a passing grade. Exact same but way, and I did the exact same thing every single in time. In a weird way, my teachers respected me because I said, listen, I'm not going to waste time on homework. I will pay attention in class so I can get passing grades and do well. And I, for the record, I was a 375 student at Belmont and a 39-something student. At, I, was a I was a good student, <laughs> but my thing was I learned how to do enough to get by yeah, for sure. to get good grades. And also, you my also parents were strict on that, so, and I wanted college scholarships, so I knew that if I didn't have a good GPA, so, like, you know, I had the normal basketball schools recruiting me, but then I also had, like, I visited Yale, I visited Penn, so, like, I wanted to put myself in a situation where I could attend those schools if I chose to go to those schools, um, and Belmont was a really good academic program as well, and so I knew I wanted the school aspect so that I could do the things I want to do, but I think that's what you have to do is sometimes... You have to do things that you don't want to do just so that you can get things 
that you want to get. You know what I mean? Sure. And so that's what I wanted. I wanted to get scholarships, so I had to do the social studies class. I had to do the science class. But the truth was, if it wasn't math, I loved math because it was numbers. I wanted to be good with numbers because that's business. And uh, I loved the, we had like marketing programs and we had like, you know, the counting stuff. We don't, yeah. Those actually excited me because I knew that I was going to use those in the long run. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'm completely with you. One of my least favorite things throughout all of high school, and I didn't go to college, and I think if I had grown up at the time you did and, and some people before you, I would have gone to college. I'm still 29, just so you know. <clears throat> no, <Yeah>. I'm kidding. <laughs> I know so you're young, sir. I know you're young, sir. Yeah, for sure. Um, so because I didn't, like I would have gone to broadcasting school yeah. because social media was around and there was broadcasting in my high school. No reason to. That's all I did. There was no reason to. Um, but I, de I definitely find that interesting. Um, and I saw the exact same thing. And every single class I walked into, if there was no direct application. And back then, I, I thought like a couple years ago, I thought, oh, if there's no application right now, I'm never going to use it yep. um, for most things. And that was you know, inevitably true for most things. Like, you know, Shakespeare is great. Like, it's awesome. I love that people love it. It's not for me. Like, Dude, I love I'll tell you a story. So this, it down my throat. It's crazy. Like, so <laughs> when I started dating my girlfriend, she like was, um, one of the things that she did was she studied abroad in Florence. And so, uh, well, when I would go over there and we'd go all around Europe and travel to different yeah. places to see things. And uh, I remember when she went to Paris, she's like, have you ever been to Paris? And I was like, yeah, I've been to Paris a couple of times. And I was like, just so you know, I've never even got out of a taxi to look at the Eiffel Tower. I was like, oh, there it is. Okay. And she's like, you're joking, yeah. right? I was like, no, I just don't care about that stuff. And some people will be like, well, you're not well-rounded. And I'm like, I don't need to be, you know, happy. I want to be really, yeah, I want to be really happy in life first and foremost. And then I want to be really successful and I want to help other people achieve those two things as well, success and happiness. And I think that that's where a lot of people fail to me. Um, and I know that I started out the same way. So when you start out anything, the, the stages, in my opinion, are number one, you start out where you have so many doubters, so many believers, so many, and you doubt yourself almost. So you don't tell anybody. You kind of just work. It's like closet work almost. You know what I mean? You're working in silence. Yeah. Then you start to get a little momentum, and you magnify that momentum. You think you're killing it, but you're really just starting, right? So then you start telling everybody what you're going to do because you feel like your momentum is going to take you to the top. Yeah. And then what happens is when you start to rock, you realize, okay, you, you weren't going up the roller coaster as fast as you thought you were. And then you start stressing and worrying, can you get to where you thought you were going to get to? And people always go through that phase. And then you get to a phase where now you're actually doing well, but you told people you're going to be way up here and your, your expectations were way up here and your reality is way down here. And that's when you start faking it. And when people start faking it, that's when they start trying to shortcut. That's when they start trying to change stuff up. And that's when they start going downhill Super in the aspect of the mentality wise. And I think that that's when people... You know, there's a lot of people now that make $100,000 a year, but because they told people that they were going to make a million or because they told people they were going to be famous, or they're miserable because they're not living up to the expectations that they told people. And so what they're trying to do is they're just trying to trick people into thinking that they're super successful when the truth is, yo, you're doing really well. Like, don't compare. And so that's what I always tell people. I say, rule number one, don't count another man's bread. And for me... I'm around, all my best friends are multi, 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 multi millionaires. They're all super big celebrities. Right. I don't worry about that. Like, I don't, I don't look at, you know, Joel Embiid's Instagram and say, damn, he's got millions of followers. I also don't look at, you know, Brad's contract and say, yeah. man, I remember when I was killing him when I was, you know, in high school. Which and most people do. Now he's making, you know, his career earnings will be like close to a half billion dollars. But when it's all said and done, I'm just sincerely happy for those guys. 
And it's one of those things that you've heard a million people say, like, don't spend so much time looking around at other people's kind of buildings. Just build your building. And if it's taller, great. If it's shorter, great. Who cares? At least you have the building, you know? Sure. And I saw something great the other day, too. It was a post about how, like, there are a ton of CEOs that became CEOs at age 50, and there are tons that became CEO at age 25 and died at 50. Yeah. You know? Like, you just got to... You got to run your race, you know? Yeah, no, and, it's true. And, and take it at your pace. And like you said, no shortcuts, because that'll only put you in a position that you shouldn't have been in to begin with. And you didn't have to be in because you could have done it the right way, which is in 15 years, like, oh, you're the man. No, I know. Instead of telling people you're the man right now, which I definitely agree with. Um, real quick, a couple final questions here. I want to talk a little more NBA. Who are some guys that you're looking at this season that you think are going to have a breakout year and or you think their fundamentals are in a better place than, than before or their team situation is better than before? Who, who are some of the guys you're kind of looking at um, excited to see what comes out of this year? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think the NBA is all about talent, confidence, and opportunity. Right. You know what I mean? Like they're all talented because they're one of the best 500 basketball players in the world. Right. Um, then it comes down to kind of the opportunity and confidence. Like is your coach and team going to allow you to do the things that you're capable of doing? And then do you have the confidence to be able to successfully perform the things that you're capable of doing in the game? Yeah. So it, it, those three things are kind of the, the necessary things, components. And so, um, we already know who the guys we know are going to be. You know, the top 10 guys, you know they're going to be really good. I think that, yeah, I think one of the things that will be really exciting to see is LeBron now with kind of last year being an off year, kind of almost being able to rest up how well he does. I think he's going to perform at a crazy high level. Um, I think there's other teams, um, you know, if you look around the league and see kind of opportunity changing and stuff like that, um, there's a lot of teams that got really good, but that also means that players are going to go down. I think one of the fun things is going to be Steph Curry. I think Steph Curry is going to go crazy because a lot of people are basically riding the Warriors off. Klay Thompson hurt for at least the first half of the year. KD gone. Steph is going to be the MVP Steph that we've always right. seen. Last time Steph didn't have KD, he was the first unanimous MVP in NBA history. No question. So I think crazy. I think he'll be crazy. Um, you know, I think that... Um, there's this, when you look at the stars, I think it's going to be, there's, there's not a star that I think is that made a huge jump because I think that a lot of them, their situation is the same. You look at Giannis, he has the same kind of team around him. You look at, you know, Joel, he has the same similar team around. I think it'll be interesting him and Al Horford playing on the same team, which would be pretty exciting. Um, you know, if you look at Jason, I think Jason Tatum will have a huge year just because opportunity changed. You know what I mean? Now they're going to be relying on him a little bit more for scoring, um, you look at like the Clippers are just gonna be really, really good. I think the Clippers have a chance to be one of the best defensive teams that we've seen in a long time. A lot of people are gonna say offensively because they have PG and Kawhi, but, but PG and PG Kawhi, and Kawhi with you know Patrick Beverly with defense. Harold. I mean they have they have a defensive squad. So I don't know if there's a guy that I could say okay this guy's gonna have a Pascal Siakam jump. You know what I mean? But um, I do think that there's going to be a lot more. Uh, competition when it comes to the playoffs. I think there's a handful of teams in the West, a handful of teams in the East, and I don't think there's locks. Like last year, the Warriors were a lock. If they didn't get hurt, they were almost a lock to win it all. 
Um, the Eastern Conference was a little bit more scattered, top-heavy. But They had three All-Stars injured in the NBA Finals, and they still stood a chance. Yeah. That's how ridiculous the so, State Warriors were. Yeah, I can't pick out a, a player, but I think that there are – I think situations have changed for some guys. You know, I, I know that out of my guys, I think that, you know, there's a couple guys. Myers Leonard, I think, you know, he had a really good playoff performance. And that now he, yeah, that carries wise. over confidence-wise. Yeah. Okay, hey, I can do this at the highest level. And now he's got an opportunity in Miami to, you know, play a different role. And then yeah. uh, Kelly Oubre just signed a big deal, and he's had an amazing summer. I think that it's cool to see, like, when you Showing look at his stats, he's like, yeah, he's going up and up every year. <laughs> yeah. But I think that uh, I think that his on-game swagger, on and off-court swagger is going to be at the same level this high. year. Yeah. Um, where are the best places for people to find you and or some of the stuff you're doing, camps that you do, whatever you do, where are the best places to find you? Yeah, so I mean, it's easy. We talked about social media a lot. You know what I mean? Drew Hanlon, D-R-E-W-H-A-N-L-E-N on uh, kind of all platforms and then Pure Sweat on all platforms. Um, you know, we, we're trying to do a bunch of stuff this year. We, we've held back the last two years. And we say we, I've held back a lot. My, my team has been, you know, right. Sam Lamone's in the room right now, my videographer and content creator. And uh, he always pushes me so much fire content that would literally go viral. And I've been like, not yet, not yet. And he's like, why are we not posting more? But to be honest with you, I try to respect the player's privacy. And the, bas- and the workout space is a place where they can kind of escape. And so uh, we've held back a lot of stuff. So what we're doing is we're going to start a couple initiatives where when I'm traveling around to see all my guys and when I'm traveling around the world to do all these camps and clinics, I'm going to start meeting with coaches, players, and trainers and just offer free workouts and film it all and document it all and put it out there so that we can start helping players, coaches, and trainers uh, take the next step. And it's hard because we live in an era where there's so much content that you don't know what's good and what's bad. So a player might jump on YouTube and type in ball handling and they might find a great drill or they might find a terrible drill and they might waste their time on that terrible drill. Yeah. So I think that uh, (laughs) that's one of the cool things that we're going to do this year is just the initiative of trying to do a bunch of give back stuff, document it, push, post it so that, you know, if a kid in New York City is struggling with his jump shot and I go out on a, on a you know, blacktop and work with him, uh, we post it. Somebody else in, you know, Phoenix, Arizona might have the same problem and, and it might help them out. So it's going to be pretty cool. Awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let him know. Send him a DM. Let him know what, the, what your favorite thing from this podcast was, favorite thing that he, he said during it. And uh, make sure to leave a rating. And we'll see you next time, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thank you.